Did I interest you in a stamp? Yeah, give me a stamp. Oh. No, give me a purple one. Oh, I'm sorry we haven't any purple ones. I could uh, paint one for you. I don't want a painted one. person hasn't got any rights in this country anymore. The government even tells you what color stamps you gotta buy. Live from Springfield, Massachusetts, this is the award-winning stamp show here today. If you can dream it, we can collect it. This is episode number 327, brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. This is Cash. This is Mark. This is Albert. This is Don. If you've been a United States stamp collector for a while, you probably run across one of the TASCO information booklets. Uh, these were produced between 1938 and 1943 by the Tatham Stamp and Coin Company of Springfield, Massachusetts. And they're uh, basically sort of three-part folders. And they have a cover on them that explains what it is, and then the rest of each panel talks about you know, the stamps that they are discussing. Uh, the Tatham Stamp Company of Springfield, Massachusetts was one of the best known philatelic mail order houses in the 1930s, all the way up to the 1960s when it stopped operations. The company rate rose to fame uh, based on the services in a series of these TASCO educational booklets. Uh, the Tatham Company was run by two people, Howard McIntosh and Henry Everson. And McIntosh passed away in 1958, and then the company wrapped up in about 1960. An interesting thing is, because we're going to discuss some fake stamps here, uh, they're famous for making a fake 1788 Massachusetts cent replica that uh, is also widely collected in the coin community. So again, this is a stamp and coin business. But the uh, we're going to discuss the uh, Tatham booklets. And just real quick, there are 15 of, or there's, well, there, there's one missing on the list that I'm looking at. But the first one, was the one and two cent stamp of 1889 to 1898 that was put out in 1938. Then you had the one cent banknote. You had the three cent banknote. You had the two cent stamp of 1908 to 1920. That's the uh, Washington head. You had the three cent stamp of 1908 to 1920. Again, the Washington head. You have the Confederate States that we will discuss probably at a great length. Then you had another Confederate States 
which didn't have as much writing in it and it had all blocks of four. Then you have the two cent stamp of 1922, the two cent Colombian, the three cent stamp of 1861. Then you had one of booklet panes, one of future delivery stamps, and then the last two, which are kind of the hardest ones to find, one for the United States potato stamp, a whole booklet on it. And the last one was a booklet on the Boy Scouts. The Boy Scouts um, had a merit badge and you had to get, I forget what it was because I did get the merit badge though because it was a Boy Scout. I think you had to get like 20 stamps. And uh, this Tasco booklet, you could, if you did the booklet, you literally completed your merit badge. And I think that the problem with finding that, that one is, you know, they turned in the booklet for their merit badge and then the booklet went, you know, into a trash can or something like that. So very interesting uh, one there. Of course, my favorite is the 3 cent 1861 booklet. And uh, that one uh, tells you how to identify U.S. number 10s from U.S. number 11s and the perforated. Uh, what, what do you guys know about any of these? Well, which was the most common? Because the, uh, I mean, I've seen a lot of Tesco booklets. Um, to me, it seemed to be the one that had the, um, the two cent uh, triangle, no triangle, small um, uh, bureaus. I've seen those. However, kind of in my opinion, the most common one is the Confederate States one. And this is with the with the uh, uh, reprints. Yeah, it had a reprint of every. They made so many reprints that they the reprints are literally known as the Springfield reprints because they came out of these booklets. And there were three different printings of this booklet. And so the mere fact that there were three different printings of it kind of says that you know it was a popular booklet. You know, that's, a, that's the only booklet that I ever really looked at was I bought several Confederate lots and some several uh, Confederate reference lots that had books in it. It always had the, it always had the uh, Tatum Company booklets in it. Yep, yep. It, you kind of need it for the references. And uh, it's the most common, but I kind of think that it's also the most valuable. Although I see, I'm looking at Eric Jackson's site right now, and actually it's not the most valuable one. The most valuable one he has is the Boy Scout one. He has the Boy Scout one priced at $375, whereas the, uh, hold on, and then the second one is the um, paper varieties. Oh, that's one that wasn't on the list. That's weird. Uh, Tasco book number 12 is the um, postal stationery colors of the paper. And he has that one here for $300. Now, that's, that's a very useful uh, booklet to have if you're a collector. Just, and, and just like the, 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 the one that discerns the, the, uh, the three-cent Washingtons, uh, 11s from 10s and so forth, because... You know, it serves an educational purpose. The one that 
Uh, the one that really puzzles me is the potato stamp yeah. booklet. Yeah, I want to know about that. Uh, and uh, he has it here, and they are uh, rather expensive, too. I think only because they're scarce. Uh, it was put out at the end, and I can kind of see that, you know, they got a whole bunch of potato stamps. And they said, what the hell are we going to do with all these potato stamps? Well, let's put it in a booklet. And so they put it in a booklet, and... Uh, you know, it tells the story of the potato stamp, although the story isn't that interesting. It's but, very short. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about we've talked about here at Southern Nevada about putting together um, paper samples of the of the stationery. It's not that hard to do. It's just yeah. you got to get a buy a big lot of stationery that has a, enough of the different paper color co- paper colors, and then you just need to cut little little. Um, um, half, half, half inch, half inch by three quarter inch yep. uh, strips out of it, and then just hinge it, hinge it onto something. Oh, and just as a note for the potato stamp, you know you have the whole set of potato stamps, right, with the girl on them. Mm-hmm. This is not for that. This was issued before that issue came out. So this one is the little gray stamps, and there's a two cent and a fifty cent potato stamp. So these are the gray potato stamps. Right, and there's a rarer uh, denomination. Which isn't in the book. Right. But yeah, like, you know, the Colombian one. The Colombian one shows the broken hat the and the short frame line. And it's like, well, those aren't very valuable. You know, it's, it's strictly expensive because it's one of the rarer ones. But of course, like I said, on uh, Eric Jackson's site here, the rarest one is the uh, the Boy Scout one. What did Eric price the Confederate one for? Uh, he has a couple of them up. The and I think this is uh, underpriced, but he has it from thirty five dollars up to sixty five dollars. No, seventy five dollars. From thirty five dollars to seventy five dollars. Oh, here's a cheaper one in not good condition. Twenty five dollars to seventy five dollars. I have seen these sell for over a hundred dollars. Well, I've also seen uh, a lot of nines and tens and threes that come out of the books that are put into albums. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, you know they are known as the Springfield reprints. And if you want to complete your page of Confederate stamps, you know just pull them out and stick them in there. The, the stamps, by the way, are hinged into the Tasco books. So they're easy to remove and put in your collection. Yeah, but I've but I've seen some that, despite the fact they were hinged in, they they, they are thinned and torn and everything else. Yeah, these were well used. He has the uh, one cent bank note one. He has one up for ninety five dollars. So these are not cheap booklets, especially in good condition. But they were affordable when they were issued. They were free when they, they were given. Issued. They were given away with the, with the approvals. I know that. Yeah, if you if you bought you know, two dollars worth of stuff because you know this is nineteen forties, so if you bought you know the equivalent of twenty five dollars worth of stuff, you know they gave you the booklet. It was an it was an advertise it was an advertising gimmick more than anything else, but it also was trying to teach your teach their customers something about stamps. Yeah, it certainly lasted for a long time. And I guess the, the booklets are still collectible because of what people are asking for. I am trying to complete a set of them. 
and I have quite a few of them. I have a lot of them. Uh, some of them are in very bad condition because, you know, you take what you can get. If you see them, you take them. How do you tell the three printings of the Confederate ones? Oh, the th- uh, well, the first one had just a black and white cover. Okay. Just It looks like every other Tatham, they all have black and white covers. The second printing had a color picture of, oh, what was it? It's a, color, a battle scene. Let's see if we can identify what it is. It's a... Uh, So it has a picture, a color picture of the siege of Fort Butler. The third printing has the same picture, but it's much more clear, clean. They they fixed up the picture so it's nice and clean and clear. And because uh, obviously this one being the most popular one, and them actually today being known as the Springfield reprints. Um, they obviously put the most effort into making this one nice and clean. This one is also like a true booklet, which it has a cover and then uh, staples on the spine, and it's got pages in it. Other ones are just, you know, folded pieces of cardboard. Yeah, trifold. Yeah, trifolds or bifolds. You know, some of them are just two pages, not three. So, yeah, they... uh, they, there are 15 of them, and if you want to try to accumulate all of them, you can find these. And these are worth looking for, and if you see them, picking them up. They normally, they, where you find these is frequently they're hinged into albums um, in large lots. I mean, where it's, so they've just been left alone. I mean, that's the, the, the three or four Confederate ones that I've, that I've purchased over the years we're all part of larger groups of stuff, either large groups of reference or large groups that included stamps, and where they're actually hinged into the paper. Yeah, well, it's like the uh, three cent eighteen fifty one. All the three cent eighteen fifty one collectors have that booklet. Now, now you mentioned there were three printings of the Confederate book. Does that mean there were three printings of the stamps, or only one printing of the stamps? I believe there was only one printing of the stamps. So they just tipped in whatever they had left in each successive printing. Right. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because, you know, they had a history of making reprint items, you know, on the coin side. Now, people should remember that at least four, there are at least four other companies, including Stanley Gibbons in New York, uh, that made uh, envelope samples. So... There's, you may have you may have an envelope sample book in your collection, but it may not be the one from the Tatham Coin and Stamp Company. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, the one and two cent stamp from 1890, the uh, bank, uh, the first bureau issue, that's a trifold, but the two cent Colombian is only a bifold. You know, so they vary, and then the like I said, the Confederate one is multi-paged. And the uh, three center is a uh, trifold, but a lot of these are bifolds, so they're pretty easy for them to make and hand out. So if you can uh, go back in time and spend money with them. Oh, hold on, there's a second page here at Eric Jackson I didn't even look at. 
Uh, oh, wow. A, uh, he's got a mint, very fine condition Boy Scout one, which again is the last one, for $250. Now, did those booklets come with the stamps? Generally speaking, yes. So just by getting the booklet, you could satisfy the merit badge requirements? Yes. That's a little bit of cheating. Well, no, because uh, if I recall correctly, you also had to tell your scoutmaster about your item. So you couldn't just, like, get it and hand it to him. You at least had to read it. But you didn't have to track down all the stamps then, I guess. Hmm. But you still had to show the knowledge of it. So these are the Tasco booklets. I don't recall any other real booklets. Tell me what, what were the Stanley Gibbons ones? Well, that was done. That was done around 1910, 1908. They were literally just little. They were a little folder, and they had uh, samples of the trifolder, trifold, and it was uh, samples of the uh, of the envelope papers, all kinds of different ones. The Oriental buff, blue, brown for U.S. stamps. For U.S. stamps, oh. cut right from the envelopes. I know of at least four other, I know three or four different, I mean, it's been done a number of times. That's why we, in other episodes of our podcast, we've talked about it's a possibility. It would, um, it's not impossible to find probably almost all the, all the various colors that we need. We just have to buy it, buy it, and then cut it up. Well, one of the major suggestions for the Book of Secrets, you know, the Book of Secrets number three that we put out was uh, all about color varieties. And it was very, it, it was re suggested by more than several people that we also put color varieties for the stamp paper in there. So, you know, next, when volume four comes out or volume three, number two, yeah, 3.1, <laughs> uh, that, yeah, we'll put, we'll take out the uh, story about the puffins, which if you uh, Don't get, take out the story about the puffins. <laughs> Yeah, it's an interesting story where uh, puffins can see ultraviolet light and their beaks and their colors fluoresce ultraviolet. So, uh, you know, puffins have uh, better eyesight than humans, I guess, on the ultraviolet scale. We should hire them to detect uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the counterfeit postage. Yeah, put them in the... Uh, post office and have them look for tag stamps there you <laughs> yeah. go. like uh you know you have the drug sniffing dogs yep. you'll have the uh tags looking puffins <laughs> wandering around the post office but yeah the uh, it has a couple of stories in it and uh maybe i'll get rid of the uh eugene o'neill story mm. no no just remember that other animals like some butterflies also fluoresce and and see into ultraviolet Yep, and uh, we actually were looking at, uh, and we ad I addressed this because we did go over the colors of the uh, U.S. number 79s and the number 63s. The color of blue not existing in nature and how most languages came up with the word blue way, way, way late in their development. And if you go to, you know, ancient cultures and you say, what color is the sky? They'll say either white or black. They won't use the word blue because they don't have a definition of blue. And it was like, 
well, yeah, we're stamp collectors. We know this all the time. Like, red and caramel and lake and lake. Yeah, we 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 differentiate. You know, a non-stamp collector looks at these and goes, red. It's like that's not red. Red has a brownish shade to it. That's caramel. That's right. pigeon blood pink. Or yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like Eskimos having so many different names for snow. Right. Don't the Russians also? Yeah, except that uh, the Eskimo thing, I saw an explanation of that once. And they have, uh, they make words like Germans, uh, the German language does. So Adding a lot of terms together. Right, like you, uh, the word for hospital is Kronkhaus. So it's sick house. So... It's not actually a word. It's a combination of two words. So, like, fluffy snow, wet snow, sleet. Right. So we have yeah. fluffy snow and wet snow with a space between them. They'll just have fluffy snow, wet snow, no space between it. So the question is, you know, is that really a word or is that just combinations? Well, the Eskimos think that there were. That's a word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a very there was a very good film in the '80s called "Smell as Sense of Sm- Sense of Snow," which I thought was uh, talked about that. So we've gone all over the place here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so uh, we have but, from stamps to puffins. But yeah, if, but if we but if we are going to do if we are going to do a um, another secrets book and actually tip in tip in paper, we better. We that's how many did we print of uh, volume three? Uh, we, I think all of them were always 2000. Yeah, and well that's, we, a, that's a lot of, that's a lot of uh, cut pieces of paper. Oh yeah. No, no, no. We can't put the paper in and we did, we'd have to, uh, print the colors. And luckily, you know, the printer we use did do really, really good. Color. We, we had to really shop around to find a person who would duplicate the colors because, you know, we tell people what the Pantone is. And that's the whole idea of the book is, you know, we give you the Pantone numbers so that if you pull it up on the screen or whatever, you can see what the color of pigeon blood pink is. Because you think in your head pigeon blood pink and you think, you know, it's blood. So it's probably like a deep red, but it's not as deep a red because it's like pinkish. And it's like you would be utterly and totally incorrect. That's not the color of pigeon blood pink. And as a matter of fact, the color of pigeon blood pink was actually called rhodonite. And uh, how many people know what the color of rhodonite is? After I've already slaughtered pigeons. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hundreds of dead pigeons for our book. And we could have just killed one rhodonite. I will say that a, a very well. I, when I was in college, I cut class one day to attend an Irwin Hyman sale in Woodland Hills. Irwin Hyman was a very important New York auctioneer for over 25 years. He was most well known for selling all the great airmail rarities, like the Newfoundland airmail rarities and things like that. So he moved out. He moved out to Woodland Hills to be, to be with his grandkids. So he would run an auction a couple times a year. And I remember in 1971 attending a sale that had a very fine pigeon blood pink with an ancient PF certificate. 
and I thought I'd be able to buy it for about $150, but an old lady came in and bought it for $300 away from me. <laughs> oh, damn old lady. So I, so I still think of that particular stamp. <laughs> it just had wonderful color, but since I now know how fugitive that color is, I'm just as glad that I didn't buy it because it probably wouldn't. I probably didn't know how to take care of it in 1971. Yeah, uh, tell people about that because that is a real biggie. Well, it's it's. We think that we from the research that's been done on the pink colors, both the regular pink and the and the pigeon blood pink, it's the same pigment. It's just really the intensity. It's just. And how, you can throw rose pink in there too. Yeah, and the problem is, is that they're that they're all fugitive. In other words, uh, if, if you have one on cover or you have one in an album, you would be better off to take it out and put it in a piece of glassine, a glassine envelope. Um, don't leave it in any kind of a plastic mount. I mean, there are a number of auction houses that if you read, read, their, read their pouchettes, they say, please don't leave um, pink or orange or yellow colors in there because they, they sulfurate. And once they sulfurate, you never can get it back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people have tried, and the problem is is that um, if you use something like peroxide to try to bring the color back, peroxide is, it releases free oxygen radicals, and the problem is is it, it's a bleach. And yes, you can get the color back temporarily. I have seen examples where it's been actually done, but then if you look at the paper, the paper has just been shredded. The fibers are all lifted and everything. So um, that's, a, that's a very good bit of advice about I mean I have I have a stamp that I submitted here that came back as a 64B a rose pink but I'm absolutely positive it started life as a pink I think uh, I always go through whenever I see uh, 65 covers and I always look for uh, August of 1861 usages and it is my opinion and it's supported by a lot of information and other people but it is my opinion that in August and September of 1861, all the stamps printed were pigeon blood pink. And whether they are still pigeon blood pink only depends on whether or not the yellow pigment that they originally put into it is still there or not. Because yellow pigment burns off very quickly. So if you took a pigeon blood pink and put it in the sun... You know, put it put it outside. Accidentally, it accidentally drops out of your album and lands face up on the driveway, and you go back like half an hour later. All of a sudden, you don't have a pigeon blood pink; you have a pink. You come back two hours later, and you have a rose pink. And if you come back like the next morning, you'll have a rose because it it literally will wipe out all the yellow pigment. And, and it's very interesting because we talk about seeing the blue in the color. Yeah. And uh, um, I have purchased my share of August August uh, and September of 61 covers. And some of them that just, and I've actually done the experiments to see if I can bring it back using peroxide. I can actually bring back the pink shade temporarily, but then as the oxygen leaves, the the, uh, the underlying color comes back, and you, you you've done nothing. And I've actually done it to the point where I've actually soaked the stamp off and just subjected the stamp to it. But it, it never yeah. it never works like that. And I've always I've always 
I've always wondered somebody could make a lot of money figuring out the proper way to do this, but I just don't think there is a proper way to do it because of the the nature of the pigment. Well, I will tell you not a, pro a proper way to do it, which we get here at PSE every so often. I mean, it's not rare. We will get a number 65, a rose, not one of the brownish reds, but the rose. And somebody will have gone over it with a pink Sharpie. And very lightly, you know, added just sort of a pinkish tint to it. And at a distance, it looks like a pink. It's not going to look like a pigeon blood pink because pigeon blood pink is kind of different. But it'll have this pinkish shade to it. And then you look at it closer and you go, yeah, it's because somebody went over it with a pink Sharpie. Well, earlier this year, we had the pleasure of having a couple stamps submitted to us that were submitted as 64Bs and where we determined that it would, they probably started life as, as pigeon bloods, but there was enough pigment left over that they were never hinged pinks, which was quite amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, it, that, is one, that is one of the Scott catalog numbers that I really have. You know, our, our, my motto is to make stamp collecting easier, not more difficult. And then you had rose pink, and then Scott's catalog really, I, I don't know what term to use, but then they put pinkish rose as a number 65. And then they put a $25 value on it. So you have pinkish rose and rose pink, which, you know, I, you know it depends on where you draw the line. It, personally, if you have more brown, then I throw it into the 65. I and mean, if you have less brown, you'll go into the 64B. But that's one that, you know, Scott's catalog, what are you doing? You know, you're just making more categories to make things more difficult. Well, they did that with the 18, uh, the 1857 issue, the, the red-brown versus the henna-brown. Yeah. Henna-brown is another term for Indian red. Yeah. And... If you read the articles from the original articles talking about the two colors that appeared in the American Flatalist in around 1913, these were articles written by, by Dr. Carol Chase, one of the co-founders of the U.S. Philatelic Classic Society. And then the Philatelic Foundation in about 1988 decided they would invent a new color called uh, Deep Red Brown, Scott number 28, small b. And I highly objected to that because I said the only two colors that we need to talk about are really what is a red-brown versus what is a henna-brown, not adding a third color. That's been a big disservice, I think, to the collecting collecting fraternity. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a poser. The real knife into the chest is when they put a, a spot in it in the Scott's um, album. If you have a spot in the album for it, then, you know, they, they've they done it. Uh, there's a lot of stamps that they've called, you know, various varieties on that are not in the uh, your stamp album. It's like no harm, no foul, you know. it's You're making life difficult, but it's not in the album. Once you put it in the album and you have a spot for rosed pink, it's like, holy chrome, you know, who's <laughs> and it's, it's, I fully believe that in a hundred years, you know, our great grandchildren who collect stamps 
are not going to be able to find a, a pigeon blood pink. I do not think that they will last 100 years. Yeah. Well, if they keep them in glassines, you never know. Yeah, yeah. Glassine is about, uh, glassine or something that, that is uh, absolutely inert that you can put in nitrogen gas or something like that. That would be the, um, the best way to keep them. Yeah, so uh, everybody should uh, buy a nitrogen gas uh, tank. Actually, they have little capsules because you use it for a wine. So you use your nitrogen gas and you store it in a nice little capsule. And uh, you make sure that it doesn't uh, get any light on it. And uh, that's exactly what stamp collectors, I think, are looking for, is a chemical way to store stamps in a light-proof uh, container <laughs> so that they can never look at it. Well, like those silica bags when you have vitamins? Yeah. <laughs> obviously, you want to store your stamps inside of tires. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. Light tight, filled with nitrogen. Yeah. Well, I think we've totally jumped the shark on uh, <laughs> Tasco booklets here. So, well, but, but we've had a very interesting discussion about color. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we also, so if you get that, uh, if you if you get your grandpa's album and it has some of these booklets in there, you have something of value. It's not just junk. Oh yeah. Oh, I just pulled up the uh, Boy Scout one. And the Boy Scout one is in really nice condition, and it's got a paper strap around it. It says net 50 cents, so they sold it for 50 cents. And it says a wonderful gift for a Boy Scout. So this one has the original paper strap on it also. So if you can find like a mint as issued um, Boy Scout, this one is $375. You mean booklet, not the actual Boy Scout, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> booklet of a Boy Scout, not a Boy just Scout. Just wanted to be clear on that. Yeah, and it's a trifold, and just FYI, it's got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 18 stamps in it. Uh, you know, like it's got a special delivery and a pre-cancel and a revenue stamp and a cut square and a semi-postal and stuff like that. So uh, it has all the definitions of stuff, an airmail stamp, a special delivery. And then on the back of it, it describes what each one is. So the front of it just has uh, the stamps, and the back of it has the descriptions so that you can go to your scoutmaster and say, okay, this is what I got. So, yeah, I have one. It is, like I said, in not very good condition. And what did you pay for your not very good condition one? Honestly, I probably paid 10 I don't think I paid more than like 10 bucks for any of these. But I don't find them. I mean, you know, you can go on eBay and pay, you know, numbers like this. But they were they, all I can say is that uh, since I've been around a little bit longer, that they were there were tons of them around in the 70s. And I just never really paid any attention other than to said, well, that's nice when I get them in a lot. And normally I would just leave them in the lot just as line up something extra to give somebody. Yep. Yeah, you'll find them in a box lot that also includes dentists and the stamp hinges. Yeah. You know, and maybe some show guard mounts and maybe an inexpensive pair of tongs. I mean, it's a real price now to get a, a glass watermark tray. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that, was only, that was like a $2 item. And now those of us who expertise stuff, we would kill for a, glass, a black glass watermark tray because uh, so most of them have been broken. Yep. Well... That's it. We need your help. 
Nothing on the internet is free, including our phone and internet connections. So you can support the podcast by joining the Stamp Show Here Today Club. The cost is $10 for a lifetime membership. Please include your APS member number as we are an APS-affiliated club. Your support is greatly appreciated. Our brand new spanking address is 5965 Harrison Drive, Suite 6 in Las Vegas, Nevada, 89120. You left out the word glorious. Fabulous. <laughs> because you don't put that on the letter. Oh. Well, you could. You could, yeah. You could, yeah. Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from Not Landing, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun, but now the time has come to go. If this still clown was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! (laughs) You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, seeking to advance all levels of the stamp collecting hobby through news, information, and collecting advice. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com to listen to the show, view images of the items we are talking about, and read the show notes. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook at Stamp Show Here Today and on Twitter at Stamp Show HT. If you have questions or comments about the show or have any topics you would like us to discuss, you can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting. Collecting happens when we dream together.